One night in 1971 on a lonely North Carolina highway, a head-on car crash cost a young driver his family and very nearly his life. His doctors were sure he would never move again, but he triumphed over his disability and went on to become the wildest hero of all. Because he's real. Stanley presents The Human Fly. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 78, Arnie's Story, The Human Fly, issue number 12, cover date August 1978. Hello again, time travelers. It's me, Ben, Ben Avery, here to talk some more about some comic books. And what kind of comic books? Well, I'm continuing my walk through Marvel's licensed comic books with the cover date of August 1978. So let's talk about a comic book. Let's talk about a comic book that has made me laugh at its silliness and made me get angry at its mediocrity. Let's talk about a comic book that has taken me to levels of absurdity that make me just shake my head at the ridiculousness or alternatively laugh out loud at its ridiculousness, Uh, you know, because there's two kinds of ridiculous. There's the bad kind that makes you want to throw a comic book across the room because the twists and turns that come through the story are they're they're goofy and they have no basis in reality either uh, the reality we live in or the reality that is set up in the book uh Saturday morning cartoons back in the day often did this uh this is when they would have a problem and the characters are able to solve the problem through the sheer effort of just being the character who's there in the story. Now, maybe there'd be some lip service to figuring something out, but there's never any doubt that they're going to be able to do this. And so then maybe it's just a silly resolution and you just, it's a cartoon and you can say to yourself, well, it's just a cartoon or you can say to yourself, well, that really was, kind of dumb then there's the kind of ridiculous where it fits in the world and not only does it fit in the world but it's it's outrageous and it makes you laugh it makes you laugh from just the sheer audacity of what it's what it's doing may not be that great but the mere fact that someone thought of it and expressed it in the form of a story makes you want to chuckle uh, or maybe even, maybe even you're laughing as you're wondering what is wrong with the world that this thing exists in the world. Of course, I'm talking about the previous issue of Human Fly when I'm talking about that, where, you know what? It paid off in something that made me 
laugh. It was ridiculous. It didn't make sense, but it paid off. And that's, I guess that's the two kinds of ridiculousness in a nutshell. There's the kind where you're just like, that's ridiculous. And then there's the kind where it's, that's ridiculous, but it's connecting with me and making me laugh. Uh, you want you want that kind of connection. Well, maybe you do. Because <laughs> when people are trying to go for that kind of ridiculous, often the reaction is a reaction where it fails, where we just are like, well, that's kind of you know, you can tell they're trying too hard or whatever. But if they're earnestly trying to tell a story and, and it goes there, that's when it can be real gold. So what about this one here? I mean, this kind of, tends to be the question with the human fly is, is it going to make me angry? Is it going to just be mediocre and make me angry because it's not good or bad? Or is it going to be, you know, so ridiculous that I'm I'm OK with it? Because with Human Fly, I'm not expecting any kind of story to actually, you know, take me on a journey of discovery or, you know, make me get really interested into the lives of the people who are there. Uh, there's 17 pages of story. There's not a lot of time. And that means it's, it has its work cut out for it if it's going to try and make you care about the characters. So this story, it's a, it's a simple story. Uh, it's a simple story that follows the human fly template and or template, I guess. So, yes, I did say there's a human fly template and, and there are two unfortunate elements to my statement. Unfortunate element number one, there's a template, there's a formula, there's a human fly formula for storytelling. I keep comparing human fly to 80s television and there's a reason there's a reason I'm comparing this to things like the A-Team and Knight Rider and shows along those lines because they had formulas too. And so this fits right into that of the formula. Uh, the Incredible Hulk, it had the formula. Bruce Banner comes into town. Someone needs help. He tries to help them. Something happens early on that makes him turn into the Hulk just so we can see the Hulk, but it doesn't really affect the outcome of the story. But then later on at the end of the story, at the climax, something has to happen. He turns into the Hulk and he solves the problem for the people there. But because he's turned into the Hulk, he has to leave town. The A-Team, they're running from the military police. They are contacted by someone who needs help. They go to help that person and things look bad while Murdoch does some sort of crazy gimmick. Hannibal disguises himself and tricks people. Face is charming and charms people. B.A. is tough and intimidates people. But their plans only work partially, and so that brings us to the main battle where the A-Team pulls together some sort of outrageous plan, usually involving things that are native to the environment that they're helping in, like tractors or watermelons or fire hoses or copy machines. I don't know, but uh, anyway, Human Fly has a formula. The second unfortunate element with that statement is that I've been reading this long enough to not just recognize the formula, but to basically be waiting to see how it unfolds. Like I start reading and things happen and I start thinking to myself, well, how is this going to, you know, how is, how will the formula be revealed? What's going to happen? What will the stunt be at the beginning of the story? 
that he's doing as some sort of charity thing. And then after that stunt, what will be the actual storyline that we're meant to follow that's basically some sort of life or death struggle that's going to call upon his stunt skills. And sometimes it's spread out over two issues, like the museum issue with White Tiger and Daredevil and whatever, Copperhead or whatever the villain was. He does a stunt out in front of the museum on a skateboard. And then you have the real story, which is Copperhead stealing stuff from the museum, putting kids in danger and Daredevil and White Tiger and Human Fly have to stop him. That's the formula. And in this issue, the opening stunt was pretty terrible. (laughs) Uh, Human Fly, he is put on a rocket sled on some train tracks that is rocketing toward a steel wall, and he has to escape the rocket sled before it hits. It's a Houdini kind of escape kind of thing. But he has a surprise for everyone. He is not going to escape. He is going to adjust the rockets on the rocket sled so that it lifts him up into the air and he goes up over the steel wall. And then before it crashes, he disconnects his chair from the sled so he can control his landing using the rockets. And as I said, if I may just be frank, it's kind of stupid. It, and the reason it's kind of stupid is there's no, there's no stakes to this. And so when he pulls out gadgets and makes this work, you know, there, there wasn't any point in time where you're wondering, is he going to be able to do it or not? I mean, you're supposed to. That's what the audience that's watching the stunt is supposed to think. But these tricks that kind of come out of nowhere just feel like they're tricks that come out of nowhere instead of it being something where we know what the trick is going to be and then something could possibly go wrong with what he's doing. And so even though the audience doesn't know, we know something went wrong and we see him overcome that. I, you know, here I am, I'm I'm editing the human fly, what, 30 years later. And so, yeah, big deal, you say. Big deal, Ben. You're, You're right. It's it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It's par for the course at this point. Meanwhile, during this time, uh, Harmony White, who she's the reporter who's trying, who was told to write a smear piece on Human Fly, but she has decided she is not going to do this, and she's actually given up her job with the newspaper. She's told her boss that he can take his job and stuff it. She ain't working here, no more, and. She comes around the human flies team. They're like, get out of here. We don't trust you. We don't like you. Get out of here. You, you reporter. Yeah. Yeah. You reporter, get out of here. And the human flies PR guy, Arnie, he especially doesn't like her being there. Uh, He is not happy about the stunt in general, which is very interesting because as mentioned in the last episode about Human Fly, Human Fly's real life PR manager, he was not happy about where things were going with the stunts that Human Fly was doing and stopped promoting him. He's not happy about the stunt. He's not happy about Harmony White being there until she tracks him down and actually sits down and talks with him and reveals that she is no longer a reporter. 
And when he finds out that she is no longer a reporter and why, he starts to tell the story of his first encounter with Human Fly. You see, he used to be a reporter too. Now, he was a reporter who was clumsy. He was a reporter who was cowardly. And he was a reporter who had a stutter. And he lost his job. But he thought if he could discover who the Human Fly was, he could get his job back or get a job, maybe just in general. Uh, He'd be able to work again. So he stows away on Human Fly's plane. And on the plane, he actually does get a chance. He sees Human Fly's face. Now, he doesn't know who the Human Fly is, but he saw the face, and it's a face he will always remember. We don't in the comic as we're reading it, but he does. And then, as Human Fly is getting ready to jump off the plane, he notices that Human Fly's harness for the parachute that he's using for this high skydive stunt was frayed. So, Arnie, who is this clumsy coward runs and grabs a parachute and jumps out of the plane door after Human Fly. And it's a good thing, too, because Human Fly, he hasn't noticed this, and the parachute harness just plain snaps. And so he's now in a free fall with no parachute. But he sees Arnie, and they end up you know, doing skydiving things together, and he, he, uh, they, they connect together in the air, catch each other, and share the parachute that Arnie brought. And as they float down safely to the ground below, um, Arnie then gets a job with Human Fly. He's now part of the Human Fly team, although it's mentioned that he isn't getting paid. So I'm not sure exactly how that works. But anyway, they land on the ground and on the ground, his clumsiness, his cowardice and his stutter are all gone. Basically, I mean, he's completely new man. He's, He's healed. Yeah, you heard me. That's the way it ends. Okay, so uh, the thing is, safety check eluding torn harness strap aside, Arnie's story is well told. You know, he's just a guy, but he does something courageous. And for some reason, this story, it reminds me of like a Will Eisner's The Spirit type of story. It's short. It's it's punchy as a character who is not the main character who is operating in the world uh, of the main character and managing to then help the main character survive whatever is happening. Now, if this was a Will Eisner story, uh, Will Eisner would have probably killed the guy off on the last page or something. But Bill Mantlo can't do that. I mean, the character who is doing all this stuff is narrating the story. And so we know Human Fly is not going to be a splat on the ground and Arnie is not going to be a splat on the ground. I knew that they were going to survive, but this takes us back to that whole idea of it's not the what it's the how and the how portion of the story is, is told well. Now, um, I guess who told the story? Well, Bill Mantlo was the writer. Jim Shooter was the editor, but Lee Elias has some very effective panel layouts. And even when the story asks for stupid, he does it well. But when they're doing the high dive thing, there's a splash page that, technically speaking, I guess isn't really a splash page because it's it's just a bunch of motion. And it's the, the two characters in three different kind of settings uh, floating through the air. And you get this real... And maybe this is what reminds me of, of Will Eisner is the way he does this because... It's not chronological in that as you're reading left to right, you're not seeing um, 
individual images. The images actually are crossing over with each other. And so Human Fly is reaching out toward Arnie in, in the first part there, but his hand is actually uh, covering up Arnie in the next sec- section of, of where Arnie is, is reaching out for Human Fly. And so the way it, it's laid out, it's just kind of this whirlwind of time and space. And it's very cool. And I look at something like that and I just think to myself, you know, that is some good storytelling. And it, it makes me, I, I might have mentioned this before when I was reading um, Ronan by Frank Miller, it made me want to tell better stories. And this is another situation like that where it just makes me want to tell good stories and use that kind of storytelling. So, you know, Lee Elias, he, he's doing great. Um, and then rounding off the team, we have Frank Springer on inks and Joe Rosen on letters and Glennis wine on colors. So anyway, uh, we end the story where we come back from our framing sequence, or rather we come back to our framing sequence and Harmony White, having heard Arnie's story, is inspired by Arnie's confidence and determines that she is going to have confidence. She says, I wish I had your confidence and I'm going to have confidence and I'm going to win my job back. And that's when Human Fly and the other members of the Human Fly team show up and while they were dismissive of her at the beginning, they want to help her now. So what can this teach me? That's the thing I've been kind of asking myself whenever I'm reading these human fly stories and really all this Marvel stuff. I don't always do this on air. Uh, and I don't, I mean, honestly, I don't always do it in my reading time either. But I, I ask myself, what can I learn about, you know, storytelling? Because that's what I do. I love to tell stories. And and so what's different about this that actually makes me like this? And I think it comes down to, for this issue, it comes down to the character. I mean, they used heavy-handed shorthand to make Arnie a sympathetic character. But it kind of pays off. And when he does that jump and they're falling through the air, you know, it's a character moment. It's not a moment of tension, but it's a moment of character definition. And it goes a bit far into the cliche and the instant triumph at the end after that one moment of courage that Arnie has, it's a little bit much. But when I was reflecting on this after having read it, I, I, I liked it. I, and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, the beginning stunt was kind of dumb, but the whole real, you know, the, the, the actual conflict of the story, Arnie's character arc from his flashback and Harmony White's character arc, from hearing the flashback, uh, you know, I, I liked it. It wasn't over the top. There weren't any dying rock and roll stars on the stage as, you know, Human Fly announces his intent to become a rock star. Uh, and there wasn't any utterly impossible action like the wacky races stuff that just felt like it was being made up panel to panel and didn't make any sense in the context of the story, it just was a really ridiculous story that it just, yeah, uh, man, that was so bad, so bad. But for this one, uh, I liked, I liked that Arnie's short character arc from his flashback, uh, informed harmonies. It's a nice, uh, it's a nice bit of, I guess, reflective storytelling, uh, in that their two arcs reflect each other. And that his story from the past is pushing her story toward the future. It's a nice 
this issue, number 12. It's a nice little comic that has a little bit of heart, and that's what it needed. Now, it's not enough to make me recommend the series. Not at all. Um, if there is more like this before we get to the end of the series, maybe I would. Um, the, the problem here is that you have this, which is, you know, if zero is mediocre and five is super incredible and the negative five is super awful, you know, this, this, this goes up to a, you know, a, a two or three, right? Um, but there's some negative threes and negative fours in the mix. And, uh, you know, it's no loss, uh, I, unfortunately, honestly, and with all due respect to Rick Rojet, um, the real human fly, it's no loss that there's no collected edition. And there's a reason no one is really clamoring for a collected edition. And there's a reason that these issues were tucked away in the cheap bins at a comic convention. You know, I'm personally glad to have read them as historical artifacts and as I'm, you know, digging through the dirt <laughs> to look at these artifacts, there's been some moments that I found that I, you know, the hand, the hands are covered in dirt and a little scraped up from rocks and stuff. But there's some gems in there. But those gems are just moments, and they are not defining characteristics of the entire series. So uh, next segment, we'll be taking a look at um, moving from the human fly to Godzilla issue. Number 13. And judging a book by its cover, <laughs> this one looks like it's going to be a doozy. But for now, it's time for me to say thank you for listening, say goodbye, and also to say, you know, no matter what kind of plane you're jumping off of, hopefully you've got a friend at your back who's jumping with that extra parachute. So that's, that's my blessing on you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you'd join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode, Mayhem is the Mega Monster. Godzilla, issue number 13. Okay, doing the new promo. Do not say take the dare. Do not say take the dare. Okay, go. Hello, darling. Nice to see ya. It's me, J. David Weeder, the Conway Twitty of podcasting. But please call me Dave. I host a show called Dave's Daredevil Podcast, where I talk about Marvel's Man Without Fear and Netflix superstar Daredevil. But I'm here to tell you that things have changed. 
Don't worry, I've still got more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at and a desperado love for Daredevil. And episodes of the show still come out each and every Sunday. But now Dave's Daredevil podcast is part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. That's right, the show can now be found at twotruefreaks.com, home of Earth's mightiest podcasts. And if you haven't tried the show before, I see the want to in your eyes. So take the time to check out Dave's Daredevil podcast, because sometimes you need a podcaster with a slow hand. Dave's Daredevil podcast, every Sunday at twotruefreaks.com. Take the dare. I have no self-control.